AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's up, Ears Edition listener? It's Roy Wood Jr., correspondent for The Daily Show. You're about to hear an episode of one of our original Daily Show podcasts, Beyond the Scenes, hosted by yours truly. It's the show where we dive deeper into segments and topics from the show with the show's writers, producers, and experts. In this episode, we're talking about phenomenal and forgotten women in STEM. I'm joined by Daily Show writer Nicole Conlon and host of the podcast, Lost Women of Science, Katie Hafner, to take a closer look at the historic contributions women have made to science, the discouragement women face in the male-dominated field, and how we can encourage more young girls to embark on STEM careers. Hope you enjoy it. And if you like the show, check out the Beyond the Scenes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you got this podcast, where you can get that podcast. We'll get both podcasts. Stop tripping. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes deeper into topics that we talk about on The Daily Show. This is what you got to think of this podcast as. The Daily Show is the football game. This podcast is the tailgate. It's the barbecue. It's the partying outside the stadium. It's the liquor that you snuck into the stadium because it wasn't in a glass bottle with a metal top, which we all know metal detectors can detect. You got to put that liquor in a plastic Ziploc bag and sip it through the little yellow and green seals. It's Women's History Month. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about a segment we did on the show recently about women that have been forgotten in STEM and the ways history overlooks them. This originated based on a sketch that we did uh, when Sarah Silverman was guest hosting, and she took on the role of mad scientist Dr. Insidia. Give me the clip. When you ask people about the greatest female scientists of the 20th century, they'll give you the same names. Marie Curie, Jane Goodall, Octavia Spencer. But they always leave out the most important person, Dr. Raquel Insidia, the world's first female mad scientist. In the field of evil, Dr. Insidia was a relentless pioneer. She put Genghis Khan's brain into a chimp. She made Kentucky disappear. All of it. For three years, no Kentucky. She put a man on the moon as punishment. His body's still up there. 
Unfortunately, in the 1950s, the math sciences were dominated by men. So Dr. Insidia faced a lot of sexism. One time, she shrunk the prime minister of Latvia and trapped him in a jar. They gave her a $2 million ransom. The next week, a male mad scientist kidnaps the same prime minister. They give him $4 million and a guest spot on Ed Sullivan. Same prime minister, same jar. You tell me how that's not sexism. To help us get deeper into the weeds on this conversation, we're joined by Daily Show writer Nicole Conlon. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Roy? Welcome inside the wonderful podcast studios here at our multi-million dollar um, undisclosed location. I'm not allowed to say <laughs> where we are. Legal department start tripping. Uh, we're also joined today by journalist and host of the podcast, Lost Women of Science, Katie Hafner. Katie, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. How do you do? Oh, how do you do? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're over here in New York. I know you're over there in California. I'm not sure if it's mudslide, snow, or forest fire week over there, but <laughs> whichever week it is, I hope you're being safe. I'm actually in my rowboat this morning because it's raining in, in biblical ways. Okay, so flood week it is. <laughs> Let's dive right into this topic. You've spent, you know, almost all of your career covering technology and women who work in the STEM field. What are some of the disparities that stick out for you, you know, that you've seen in your coverage? Because, you know, when you really think about erasure and then there's also bias on top of that, just talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit of the erasure that you've seen. Yeah, well, so when I, uh, so I used to cover this, I covered, I mean, the only advantage of being superannuated, which is a fancy word for old, is that um, I've had a lot of time, like a lot of time to get mad. Like, so what we say at Lost Women of Science is we're not mad, we're curious. Okay, we are a little mad. So, <laughs> so when I was working on this topic, um, for the New York Times, which I did for years, I wrote about 30 years ago, I wrote a story that was called Woman, Computer Nerd and Proud. And I looked at what it was among these three young women at MIT who were computer scientists, like, where did they get their moxie? Like, how did they get beyond all that macho crap that uh, MIT throws at you? And a lot of it had to do with the support they were getting. Um, and then I did a follow-up because I was at the Times forever 10 years later and then 10 years later again. Anyway, I won't even tell you how, how long I did these follow-ups for. But what you find is that this pipeline, this famous pipeline is real. You know, along the way, they bump into obstacles and and especially in fields like computer science and physics, the, the, uh, the sciences like biology and um, are are easier uh, for women, but there's just something about this feeling. This it's partly imposter syndrome. It's partly just plain being told you can't do it. So um, so that's the discouraging. That's the discouraged part, and then the erasure part is what we do at Lost Women of Science. I mean, these women, Roy, these women have been absolutely obliterated. Um, from history. In fact, I uh, I say to my husband, honey, you empty the dishwasher. I am busy snatching women from the jaws of historical obscurity. And that guy, <laughs> he's got a job. So there are, oh, I brought Kleenex and start in case I start to cry. Um, because uh, 
I'm kidding. I don't usually cry <laughs> about this. So, uh, however, uh, we have this database. I mean, enough already with Marie Curie. Like, I'm done with her. I mean, great, great job. Thank you very much. But, uh, and Rosalind Franklin, there are so many more. I mean, for every Marie Curie, there are hundreds. We have this database. We have binders full of women who have not been given the, uh, the recognition they deserve through history. And it is, it's, uh, it pisses me off. And that's what we do at Lost Women of Science. What was it about seeing those women at MIT that made you go, wow, how did they get there? What were the hurdles that you believe they had to overcome? And how early in a woman's matriculation through life do those hurdles start to present themselves? Wow, I love that. A woman's matriculation through life. Can we start using that? Is that okay? We yeah, can start I, using I, that as long as I can start using superannuated. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go home today and be like, sweetheart, I think we need to throw away the milk. It's superannuated. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great word? I mean, I don't usually use expensive words, but my gosh, that's a good one. Um, I'm sorry. So, okay. Yeah. Your question was the origins. Of the, it's just from time immemorial. I mean, think, uh, so women, um, for some reason, you know, have been screwed since the very beginning. And especially when it comes to uh, natural curiosity about the world around us and, um, a lot of times it was the women doing the, um, let's just kind of call it the secretarial work where they were actually doing the science itself. Um, there are a lot of couples, famous men who were married to women who actually did the work and, uh, and the men took credit for it. I don't know. You tell me, Roy. You've got the Y chromosome. Uh, what is it? <laughs> I, you know, we got to put y'all in y'all place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I mean, that was our place. And we were not supposed to be curious. And that's what science is all about. Didn't Watson and Crick have, wasn't there also a woman? That's the Rosalind Franklin. That so one. she Darn was it. the yeah. You said no right, more of he, her. No more of her. I know, right? So that's the only one you can think of. But break that down for the people who aren't familiar with that story. Right. Okay. So there were Watson and Crick, and they are the ones who discovered the um, structure of DNA in the 1950s. They got the Nobel Prize. Just saying. And um, she was um, a chemist, an X-ray crystallographer, and so she. Um, had these images, these actual images of the double helix. And she just got shunted aside and then she died. You know, not that that was her fault, but <laughs> you can't actually award a Nobel Prize posthumously. So she was wow. dead, but there was no credit given to her um, at the time. It's a little bit controversial about whether she actually deserved it. But the point is that Nicole is making... Two important things, Nicole, that's what comes to mind is the whole Watson Crick thing. But do we know any other examples? Well, we should. We should know dozens and dozens and dozens. And, you know, shame on us that we don't. But I would be happy to, like, list a bunch. We could be here for days. Where does unfair... Do snack? <laughs> <laughs> we need to do a two-part episode. Where does unfair <laughs> compensation and sexual harassment come into play as well because you also i would imagine you have to persevere like you're doing work you're not getting credited for 
Also, while doing the work, somebody's trying to grab your booty, and then they're also <laughs> paying you 30 cent on the dollar. What is it about? Right, should we talk about the booty first or the dollar? Well, here's the, the bigger question is, in your study of all of these women that stayed dedicated to these jobs in spite of all of those hurdles, what do mm-hmm. you think it was that kept them there? Why did the so, MIT women yeah. remain? Why did they keep right. doing the work? Yeah, well, not to like um, rag on MIT, but while we're at it, we might might as well. So this amazing book, it just came out called The Exceptions by Kate Zernicke, is all about MIT and a lawsuit that was brought against MIT by a bunch of women in the 1970s, which is relatively recent. Um, I'm sorry, they, so the, the lawsuit was brought, the, brought in the 90s, but this was happening to them in the 70s. At MIT, what Kate says in the book is that uh, women felt lucky. They felt lucky. Women who were doing basically the shit jobs. Can I say shit? Oh, yeah. You um, can say all that shit. Uh, <laughs> the women who were doing these shit crap jobs um, as basically glorified secretaries, uh but doing the science, they felt lucky to have any job at all in the sciences. So just to be... Oh, and they were hit on. Did I mention that yet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then it's the price of... They looked at the harassment and the lack of compensation and the lack of credit as the price of being a trailblazer into these fields? I don't even think that... You know, that's such a good question. I don't even know if they considered themselves trailblazers. They just loved doing the science. I don't even know if they were resentful uh, that they were doing a lot of the a lot of the basic science that went into um, some really important discoveries. So, Nicole, as best you can, in this building, mm-hmm. you take something that's sad where, you know, you got to have a tissue on deck at all times in case you cry about it. <laughs> In talking with Sarah Silverman about this piece, which ironically, here's a funny Daily Show story. First time I saw Sarah Silverman in the building was when she was in character for the Mad Scientist <laughs> sketch. Good. And what a like, way to meet somebody. She's got the doc, Dr. Frankenstein wig. <laughs> on, uh, she had that big electrified Afro situation Great. going on. Because, <laughs> Katie, if you're not on a piece, you're generally not in the loop on what else is happening so you're like the... what is going on yeah, in this world? Like, it's not even your week <laughs> why are you here in a socket yeah. <laughs> but why how did you all settle on a sketch because in the sketch she plays a doctor whose work is stolen and credit a man gets credit for it yeah why sketch versus say a field piece versus having sarah just talk about it at the desk i used to write for the late show stephen colbert and originally this was a piece that i had pitched there um, and I had, I would love to say it's because I'm an incredible feminist, but really what, what happened is I was like, oh shit, I need something to pitch today. And that day <laughs> happens to be National Women and Girls in STEM Day. So I was like, what can I pitch for this? And everything, like, there's so many, like, really sad issues about women in STEM. And I was like, I don't know how to make any of this funny. But, um... <laughs> The idea of like, what's like a kind of science that we don't talk about a lot? And I was like, well, there's no female mad scientists. And so originally I had written it for a character to talk to Stephen. Um, So the way that it appeared in The Daily Show is it's kind of like a Ken Burns style documentary about this fictional character, whereas the original version I wrote would be for her to be in studio talking to the host. And then I pitched it in 2019 and 
as you know, this was the height of the Trump administration where it was like every day was like, we don't have time for we anything else. <laughs> every day at 3 p.m. He would do the craziest thing you've ever, you you'd ever seen. Be and be like, it's, we can't we have to get rid of everything that we've written and write yeah. something new. So I've had this sketch on deck for a long time. And every time we've read it in a dress rehearsal, it it's always gone so well. And I've always believed in this sketch because even though it's never been on air, I'm like, I know it's funny. Um, and so I pitched it again <laughs> here. I know, everybody's saying yes. it's not funny, but I know it's funny. <laughs> Don't let go of it. It's funny. It's Thank funny. You. Thank you. And then so um, we got here and I I sent it into like our pitch email list with the caveat of like, I know this is like not we don't really do character interviews on our show, but I have this sketch. Do you guys want it? <laughs> and then Sarah saw the pitch and she really wanted to do it as a that Ken Burns style documentary, which makes sense, one, for her sensibility as like a former sketch performer, and it makes more sense for our show. And so I did like yeah. a full revamp of the sketch, and it ended up being really fun because then we got a lot of funny visual gags that we couldn't have gotten before. <laughs> See, so. years later, vindicated. That's yeah. how you do. You never like, because I know that had to feel good. It had oh, to feel yeah. good to finally get your shit on the air. I've got a pitch <laughs> that was approved in 2015. We're going to get it on TV, Roy. <laughs> and it's still it's, it's, it's still on the court board in my office. It's called White Baseball. And it's just... It's, I, listen, I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but it's a piece about how a lot of predominantly black colleges have predominantly white baseball teams and the reasons why the lack of minority, whatever, whatever. It was approved to go out the door, Katie. Two weeks later, Trump was elected. He has ruined so many of my sketches. Oh, Aside from so what he's done to America. <laughs> um, Katie, I have a question for you. And you might not know the answer to this, but as we're trying to like improve and get more women into the sciences um, and uh, true, math true. and engineering, what are the metrics by which we've decided we're succeeding or failing at that? Is it simply mm. numbers of, of people you know, graduating from college or who, you know, make a living in STEM or are there other because like I, you know, as a woman in comedy, it's it's certainly much easier now than it used to be. And I think it's way easier than it is in the sciences. But I know that like now there's more women in comedy than ever. But a lot of the issues they face are no longer things that are they're like a little bit trickier to tease out and mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. we're so much further than we were. But now it's harder to get over that last hurdle because it's little insidious things that it's more hidden yeah it's more hidden Covert. and it's it's more of like microaggressions that aren't like you know he, working here is very good but elsewhere so the shorter version of that mm -hmm. is how are we deciding that we're making progress and succeeding mm -hmm. at getting more women mm -hmm. into science so yeah the numbers speak for themselves um and those are uh, followed pretty closely uh and so we know we're making progress in a lot of the different stem Stuff. By the way, could we just say what STEM stands for? Nobody knows anymore. It's science, technology, engineering, and, and mathematics. Math. math. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. was my other I guess. keep thinking it's medicine, but it's not. But it's, it's not men. Math. It's definitely not men. <laughs> oh, God, not men. Okay. Science, technology, okay. <laughs> engineering and math. Okay. Continue. Continue. <laughs> and so the numbers are creeping up, and that's really good. Uh, and But some of the places where the numbers are not, are staying stagnant, and very frustratingly so, are, is uh, computer science, which is what I've been covering forever. And uh, I don't know what it is, but they just stay at like 20% of, of graduates. And so there's, there's a wonderful program at Northeastern called the um, Center for Inclusive Computing, which really looks at kind of the root cause of all of this. 
and uh, what it is that's actually happening in the classroom where women or the actual programming languages that get taught, you know, really trying to, as you say, tease apart some of the nuances here uh, as as um, early as elementary school uh, teachers, because um, a lot of computer science is math, um, it, teachers get uh, record video recorded because um, they swear they call on the girls just as much. But when you do the video of them and show them the video, they're calling on the boys mm. and they and then they are shocked. Everything you're talking about is so extensive to the point that now there's a term for it. Like if you're a woman and your work is erased by a man, it's called the Matilda effect. I think that having putting a name to it helps mm-hmm. to make people believe that it is a real thing. I don't know what it is mm. about humans, but we have to like, no, mm-hmm. it's this causation and thus therefore, and we have the data. <laughs> And then people yeah, go, yeah. oh, you're right. I am unconsciously sexist. I didn't know that. Thank you for that. So break down the Matilda effect a little bit for everyone and exactly what that is and how that came to be. This is this wonderful uh, woman named Margaret Rossiter. She's been studying the history of women in science and has generated these two huge volumes of women in science. And she's um, she's at Cornell uh and she is the one who coined the term the Matilda effect. Matilda was uh, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, who was a fr- suffragist in the 1800s, who wrote a pamphlet, actually, about women as inventors. And so this, think about it, this was in the 1800s she wrote this. Pretty amazing. And women as inventors who get kind of overshadowed, shunted aside, whatever you want to say, by men. And so what Dr. Rossiter decided was to put a name to the phenomenon of uh, when a discovery happens and the man takes credit and um, the and but a woman played as large, if not a larger role than the man. This Matilda effect is it's everywhere and it's throughout history and it still happens today. How receptive are people to this new information when you present it? You know, wow. we live in such a, a good question. Yeah. We, we live in an age of trying to write a lot of history that was written by biased people, you know, and we also live in an age now where they're trying to undo anything new you try and put in a history book. Don't you dare. Mm-hmm. We What we've been mm-hmm. learning is right. I can't learn new shit. Please stop. Mm-hmm. So how receptive are people when you bring this new information? And, you know, and I stop short of calling it revisionist history. It's history. Like it's just... Yeah, we say we're, we don't say we're, we are correcting the historical record. We say we are revisiting the oh. historical record. I know, isn't that smart? I wonder if I thought of that. Or maybe it was somebody <laughs> two words. Yeah, two words. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, people are incredibly receptive. Uh, in fact, we have a Lost Women of Science hotline. <laughs> the emergency line emergency are you, you a woman who's had your work taken yeah, from you no no they're dead all our women are dead by the way so they can't speak for themselves so it's people who call in the hotline and uh say you have to know about this woman who got screwed by history and um amazingly enough a lot of them are men which is who call in 
which is great. Relatives, coworkers of the, the like, what is their relation to the people they're calling about? People in the field who know that it was a woman who did this. I know. Doesn't that restore your faith in? In men? In some men. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of men and I don't have... <laughs> I don't have faith in all of them. After the break, I want to get a little bit more into the roots of this and how you two ladies are experiencing life now as women's in your field. That's a word I just made up. It's not as eloquent (laughs) as your word, but I'm going to use it. It's Women's Month on Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Beyond the scenes, welcome back. We are talking about the erasure of women in STEM, and Katie and Nicole have been walking me through all of this and showing me all the ways that men take credit for all the shit that women been doing at the job. How dare you? Stop it. Now, you two are very interesting to me in the sense that you all have figured out outlets for for change in the issues that you've identified. You know, Katie, you have your podcast where you talk about this very issue a lot. And But Nicole, I want to I start with you first. and Because it, it's interesting because as a comedian, it's, oh, that's, that's sad. <laughs> How can I make that funny? How can I make people laugh at it so they, they can then figure out the truth and ah, you're laughing. Gotcha, motherfucker. You just learned something. <laughs> how do you face the stark reality of women in science getting overlooked and then going, ah, I know how to make that funny because I, yeah. I delve in that all the time. Yeah. Well, when I'm not 
writing for The Daily Show, I work a lot in the climate space and I'm not a scientist, but I like I write for my friends um, like educational climate YouTube channel. Um, and I um, I know. Right. Surprise. Uh, just on the side. Just yeah, what the earth talking about. <laughs> yeah. And so like when you're in the climate space, like it's all bad news. It's just it's all just a bummer. And and we have to make uh, for my friend's channel Climate Town. Unfortunately, my friend's a man. I'm so sorry. Um, but <laughs> we have to make it funny. It's a comedy YouTube channel. And I think the best piece of advice that I ever got about that was from Tom Purcell, an executive producer at Colbert. Um, and his advice was, there's a, there's a story about Mr. Rogers where after 9-11, kids were coming to him and they were like, how can we handle this? You know, this is like, like, how can we continue going in the world when this has happened? And Mr. Rogers' advice was like, look for the helpers, children, look for the helpers. And um, Tom Purcell was like, well, we're writing about something that's a bummer. Look for the non-helpers. <laughs> look for the people who are making it worse. Look for the people who are doing something stupid or bad or wrong. And, like, that's what you direct your anger at. Mm-hmm. Um, so nice. so when that comes to climate, it's, like, obviously people who are, like, passing bad legislation or, like, um, starting misinformation campaigns. Um, and with women in STEM, it's... Um, you know, this sketch is sort of the exception because the sketch was just like, what is the silliest possible version that I can do of this? But it plays in the area of a little bit. It's a little bit like when, um, you know, there's some other a, a woman commits some other major crime and everybody's like she gets prosecuted and everybody's like, well, the the woman gets prosecuted and not not the men. This is classic sexism. It's like, I don't think the woman should not be prosecuted for, <laughs> for like, you know, shooting, murdering Killing somebody. I think the issue is that the men don't. Um, and so I wanted to play in that area of like a woman who has committed horrible crimes facing sexism. But like maybe we, like we should pay attention to her crimes also. But when we're I'm communicating broader heart issues, what I try to think about is like, who are the who are the bad guys and how can I make fun of those people as opposed to like thinking about like who has been victimized by that bad mm. issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense. So then I would say to the converse, Katie, then your work is about finding the helpers or helping the helpers posthumously. When we talk about, you know, a lot of the names that you've discovered from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and, you know, the good old days of women's rights. <laughs> As I like to oh, call yeah, it, as a when man. they were called women's slippers. Yeah. Oh no, that was that didn't even start till the seventies. <laughs> so there was no word. Oh, no. Well, there were the suffragists. Yeah. So during that time, where you know, women were definitely had not yet breached a lot of the legislation that we have today. Who were some of the names and people that you discovered? You know, that surprised you? You know, during that time, who were some of those helpers? Well, first of all, I don't even know if I want to call them helpers. I want to call them the doers. Mm-hmm. So one of the most moving women we found um, was this woman uh, named uh, Dorothy Anderson, who is the subject of our first season, a physician in the 1930s. She wanted to go into surgery, but surgery was closed to women. Let me just stop for a sec. Right. Do you get, are you surprised by anything I'm saying? Like when I tell you things like surgery was closed to women, does it, are you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, I, yeah, I know. this all, this all tracks. I've <clears throat> read enough about racism to believe that there are other horrible forms yeah. of oppression. <laughs> like, well, and that, like yeah, it wasn't and just our, racism happening and everything yeah. else was gravy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. well, I know. And our hero in season three, just to digress for one sec, is, um, 
is uh, this amazing black engineer named Y.Y. Clark, who I just love her. So we just fell so in love with her. Uh, so she had a whole, you know, double whammy being a black scientist uh, in the 1940s. But anyway, back to Dorothy. So Dorothy Anderson couldn't get into surgery because she was a woman. She ended up becoming a pathologist because, in fact, patients, people didn't want to see a female doctor. So women, female physicians back then tended to work behind the scenes. Um, they could deliver babies uh, and they did things like pathology and radi radiology, which is you don't see the doctor. So she became a pathologist at Columbia um, Babies Hospital. And she was uh, doing an autopsy, which is what pathologists do. And um, and she, this baby had been diagnosed with celiac. And so it was very common for celiac to be the diagnosis when uh, it was actually something very different. And she figured out what it was. And it was cystic fibrosis. So she is the one who first discovered cystic fibrosis and named it and was completely forgotten. And some guy uh, is thought to be the one who discovered it. Because he wrote the and, journal review and they oh, oh, the whole thing. I, so she is our, um, I guess our prototype. She's our, um, you know, she's the one we hold up as, and we didn't even, you know, we found an old biography, a manuscript in somebody's basement in Connecticut that had never been published. And we use that as our guide. And uh, it was really, it was an amazing uh an amazing season to put together. And then there's, let me just tell you this one other thing about that is that there was a portrait of her that was painted and commissioned by either Columbia or the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which was hanging in the lobby of Baby's Hospital for years and disappeared. And so we did an entire episode called The Dude Wall, which is actually <laughs> Rachel Maddow's she coined the term the dude wall when she was giving a uh, talk at Rockefeller University and she's going into the auditorium and she's like, what's with the dude wall? And so it's all these, you know, old white men on these walls and uh, and Dorothy's portrait was never found. We never, ever found it. Was it replaced? It. Yeah, it was taken down at some point and up went the dude wall and Dorothy's portrait is gone and it's beautiful it's we have a photo of it we can at least print a jpeg replica <laughs> and put that no back no we have we we i know right yeah i know give me I something know. good katie i need some good news where my tissue i need a <laughs> tissue here What's interesting about what you do so i did an episode of finding your roots shout out to dr henry lewis gates what i discovered on that show is how extensive it is to find out shit about people. Like, it's one thing to, to trace your family's history, but you're trying to trace the employment history and accomplishments of people for which there's even less paperwork. Like, oh my gosh. And they thought so, they had such low self esteem, they never, they didn't leave their papers. 
to so that we have we can't find their papers. So this journey of finding all of these interesting one someone calls the hotline, gives you the name, and to do a podcast, you have to do extensive research on these people. This isn't just you plug in a mic and go, let me tell you about this shit I heard yesterday. No, no, no. No, that's what mm-hmm. we do. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, we, yeah. Okay, so then within that process, how do you stumble on the fact that one of your blood relatives, who you descended from, is one of the people that you're fighting for? How did you discover that? Oh, you mean my grandmother? Yes. How did you get to that place? So last summer, I was um, just, you know, hanging around, twiddling my thumbs, and I thought, what if... Uh, what about my grandmother? I think she did something. And so I Googled her name and I saw that the Leona Zacharias papers are held in a special collection at MIT and Harvard, which is the two places where she worked. I thought, what did she do? And so I got in touch with the archivists, bless their hearts, these women. So a lot of these institutions are actually going back and looking for women. Um, And I said, you know, I want to know what's in the the files of my grandmother, Leona Zacharias. And they started to tell me and I'm like, holy shit, she was really smart. So she got her PhD from Columbia in biology in 1937, which is a long time ago. Um, My grandfather, who was a famous physicist, got all the attention. So the only career we ever heard about growing up was his. She worked on something called retrolental fibroplasia, which was this mystery in the 1940s where babies born with perfectly fine eyesight then went blind. And the question is, what's causing it? Um, Stevie Wonder is maybe the most um, famous example of that. And she was one of the team trying to figure out the cause. And nobody knew this, that she was... um, that she was instrumental in this. And I, when I was at the, I went to visit the archives and I'm sitting there with the papers mm. and I come across this one paper and on the front of the paper, it was one of the men on the paper wrote to Leona, the real author of this paper. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh. And I know. And so it's now called retinopathy of prematurity. It's still a problem, but for different reasons. But yeah, and uh, the cause, well, I'm not even going to tell you the cause of this. Um, Stevie Wonder can tell you the cause. When we talk about the stereotypes that, you know, women like your grandmother had to deal with back then, how much of a difference would you say there is between the stereotypes in those 30s, 40s, and 50s versus the MIT, the three MIT women that you wrote about, Stephanie Winter, Ellen Spurtis, Megan Smith, the stereotypes from the 30s to the 90s to now that, you know, and would love for both of you to speak on that. You know, we talk a little bit about things being a little more covert, but I would love to drill down a little bit more and just what you Mm -hmm. have seen in your research, Katie, versus Nicole, what you experience now Mm -hmm. in the workplace. Because I'm sure, like, especially with comedy, it's easy to just throw out a joke and then someone else throws out the same joke an hour later. And they go, oh, that's a brilliant joke. We're going to do the joke. And like, motherfucker, I just. I solved that problem by never writing brilliant jokes. Nobody wants to steal them. <laughs> um, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's extra tricky in this environment because we're specifically writing jokes for 
somebody else for, you know, until I started working here and we've had guest hosts for a man. So part of literally my job is to write jokes that no, I will never get credit for. Um, I was pretty lucky that I came up in an era where like a lot of the really overt sexism at least wasn't directed at me. I think, honestly, I just have the advantage of being pretty tall and pretty confident. And so <laughs> people... Well, that goes into the looks and stereotype thing it that does. Kelly was talking about. It does. But one thing that, that at least in comedy, I, I would hope that this doesn't apply to the sciences so much, is a lot of times for women, like, being a good comedian is equated with being, like, raunchier and, like, more willing to, like talk about taboo topics which is great and I love the comedians who can do that I personally am more of a goofball and so I feel like the opportunities that that I get shut out of more for being a woman are are weirdly the like ones that you think of as being less sexist um because because they're just silly and it's and it's uh, again now we're into that area where it's like I can't point to an example of a man pointing at me and being like you can't do this because women aren't funny but I can I you know Every once in a while, there will be a situation where I'm like, I, th- I think you're, I think you're not laughing at this because I, because you're not taking me seriously. But I can't ever know for sure. I can't mm. prove it. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed is if I'm on stage telling jokes, I can't look too polished. If I look really done up, then I get fewer laughs than if I look like a little crummy. If I wear a hoodie, I wear, I get yeah. more jokes than if I wear a, or more laughs than if I wear a dress. Really? And I, yeah. And I don't know why. Because it's also, I don't know that that's true for every woman, but for me specifically, that's no, what I've noticed. I think that's true across the board in stand-up. And and it's interesting, I think, as a woman performer, you're also dealing with the stereotypes and insecurities of the women in the audience mm-hmm. as well as the men. Like, you're being judged for by two different groups for two different reasons concurrently. And then if you get past that stereotypical gauntlet, is the joke funny? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Katie, what are some of the differences in the stereotypes that you think earlier erased women had to overcome versus some of the more modern day erasure? Or is there even a difference? Yeah. I, well, what we were saying earlier about the it's it's more subtle than it used to be. Um, it used to be just a you know foregone conclusion that you know women didn't belong in the lab and women like uh, going out on uh, ocean research vessels were not allowed to go. There's a famous woman. Uh, Luckily, she's she, her name is beginning to um, crop up more and more. Marie Tharp, who actually mapped the ocean floor, but she wasn't allowed out on the research vessels because she was a woman. That has changed. You know, that is now a non-issue. The issues, however, um, so one of you you talked about uh, the women, and thank you for saying their names. Megan Smith, who went on to a big job at Google and then became like chief technology officer of the United States. <laughs> and uh, she's a really brilliant uh, mechanical engineer. You know, having spoken to these three women, what do you think lit the fire for them to decide to go through that gauntlet, to walk over those coals of just inequality? loved it. They just loved it. You know, when you talk about women uh, and write about women, uh, there's a famous... Um, thing called the Finkbeiner test. Have you heard of it? No. It's a science journalist named Anne Finkbeiner 
who one day had been writing about women in science for so long, one day she said, I'm just so sick of having to write about how they, you know, managed to do, you know, strike a work-life balance or that's the obstacles they had to overcome or even talk about, you know, what their husband does for a living or all the sexism that they've that they've experienced. And she said, from now on, I am never putting that in a profile of a woman. I'm not even going to say she's a woman. And <laughs> I know, right? And so we at Lost Women of Science decided we were going to take her on. And we were going to, uh, so we did a whole episode called um, the Finkbeiner Test. Because at Lost Women of Science, we flunk it all the time. Because the test is, if you do any of these things, you've flunked our test. And so we interviewed her for the episode and we pushed back on that. I said, it's absolutely instrumental what it is that these women through history had to deal with. It's completely relevant. And she ended up, um, kind of agreeing with us, but the, the, but one of me, the way that the Finkbeiner test got put on the map was at the New York Times. And I actually still do this for the Times. I write, um, obituaries and advanced obituaries and, um, and one of the obits of a famous scientist, a, an, an actual rocket scientist, the lead, are you ready for this? The lead uh -oh. on that piece was, uh -oh. she, she made a mean beef stroganoff. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. I know. I this, know. This scientist could cook. This, this is why I have also dream. chosen to be a bad cook, because then nobody can <laughs> remember me for that. So there was this outcry and the public editor at the paper had to get involved and they revised that lead uh i mean that was pretty outrageous but it's like it was not that long ago it was just a few years ago well after the break um we're going to bring it home this wonderful discussion i want to talk with you about possible solutions to this issue also i want to talk about how representation of women in the classroom is being an inspiration so that young women can see themselves already doing the thing that they want to do and how that matters and what men can do <laughs> to finally be a part of the solution this is beyond call the tip line call the lost woman <laughs> should i give you the number yeah <laughs> this is beyond the scenes we'll be <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Be right back. Beyond the scenes, we're bringing home this wonderful conversation about women in STEM and the contributions they've made and how they are somehow oddly left out of the history books 
And then the credit is taken for by men. Let's talk about men for a second. Katie and Nicole. Katie. If if we must, yeah. <laughs> I know we don't want to, but we must. What do you think keeps men from men in these spaces from fighting for more gender equity? Like what do you think the the pushback is? Is it not being called cool by your friends or mm-hmm. is it just a boys club? Yeah, I think men in general are a little bit back on their heels these days, um, especially white men. In fact, one thing that women say about what's happening these days is that as as you see more and more women um, filling the ranks of scientists uh, around the world, uh, women report that they get these subtle and not so subtle cl- uh, uh, suggestions that the only reason they got the job was that they were a woman at the expense of a more qualified white man. One thing that I will say is I th- I think it's much easier for men uh, or any dominant group to help any non-dominant group when they're simply around them more. Um, you know, my friend who I mentioned has a YouTube channel, Raleigh Williams. He also does like live climate comedy shows. And he's really good about bringing on female scientists because one, it's important to him. And two, he just he knows them. So it's easy for him mm-hmm. to call them up and text him. I met um, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who's a marine biologist who does a lot of work in conservation. She's great. Um, I met her through his show because um, he went to Columbia mm-hmm. and studied um, climate policy there. And so like I think just on like um a very basic social level, mm-hmm. there's still, um, right. you know, not mm-hmm. a lot of mixing between groups and it makes right. it hard to, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. if your lab is hiring, mm-hmm. if you like, don't know anybody, right. any women to text right, right. to be like, Hey, are you available to lead? I don't know enough about science to say, what <laughs> about that, to be like, can you, you guys, well, can you this do this is experiment? Why, this is, like, this is why I took up golf mm-hmm. so, <laughs> because it's like this. I have these golf balls and I had them custom made uh, with RBG, a quote from RBG, women belong where decisions are made. I mean, this is where these this stuff gets nice. decided. Now, right? here's the thing. But I've I, I've played golf since <laughs> I was five years old. And when you were playing golf, the only thing you're thinking is God fucking damn going yeah. this stupid can't believe this I don't have time to network. <laughs> the only thing oh, is okay. stupid well book. so but I want to do a big shout out actually to my husband whose name is Bob Walker who runs um he's chair of medicine um at UCSF which is University of California San Francisco for those of you on the East Coast. He runs this huge department. The Department of Medicine is huge and he without ever thinking um, uh, he hires women who it's really amazing how many women work for, uh, work for him and consider him basically the best boss they've ever had. And it's just because he's so good at seeing, um, good people and, and, and hiring wisely. And I think it's an amazing department uh, at UCSF. Uh, run, I have to say, mostly with the exception of him, um, by a bunch of women. Give us, give us more of this because I'm feeling optimism now. I'm feeling the need <laughs> to not cry Sorry. as much. So <laughs> I'm gonna try to extract a little more optimism out of you right now. Now, we when we talk about 
representation towards young people so that they don't have the same stereotypical beliefs where I need to be a woman and I just need to be quiet and make casseroles. The integrated post-secondary education data system, uh, statistics from them, 45% of the people majoring in STEM in 2020 is women. Barbie on International Women's Day. (laughs) I know. They dropped a women in STEM doll, uh, excuse me, a whole set of women in STEM. And then you have, and correct me if I'm mispronouncing this, it's Carly Claus's code in which it helps young people learn code, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carly, there's a lot of these. Yeah, With the K, Carly Claus's code, mm-hmm. which is the good KKK. I, I think it's Carly Claus's code with Clossy. <laughs> okay, 4K. to not make it. Okay, wait, oh no, I see the, the team just sent us a note. Okay, it's called Code with Clossy. Just Code with Clossy. KWK, that's fine. Keeping up with Kardashian, <laughs> that's fine. I got it wrong. Clossy, if you're watching, I apologize. I didn't mean to briefly call you to do three Ks and then four Ks. It is code <laughs> with Clossy. So what are some other things that you're seeing that help fight the battle with regards to representation so that the young women coming up don't have the same hurdles to overcome from all the mm-hmm. people that you've researched? It's just what you said. It's like every single day you see women doing it. And it's just not a question. It's just not even a question in your mind that you as a little girl could do that too. Katie, we can end here with your podcast. And I want you to tell us, you know, you've talked about the men who call in, but tell us a little bit about the women who call in. Tell us a little bit about the listeners and how your podcast Mm -hmm. helps helps you connect with women, helps educate women about Mm -hmm. the forgotten women of history. Yeah, so we're a full 501c3 nonprofit initiative where we're also um, doing uh, children's books. Uh, We're just starting on that. We're pulling together a huge uh, resource center where anyone, and we're going to integrate that with classrooms, we hope, uh, where, uh, and we're partnering with higher ed institutions all over the place uh, to go do these archaeological digs through their archives to find the, to, to unearth the Carolyn Parkers of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to take some real, you know, human power to do it. It um, This is not something chat GPT can do. Ooh, and um, taking shots at the AI. I like it. Keep going. Yeah. So uh, we're only a couple of years old, but we're really growing, which is, which is nice. And we get a lot of people. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm used to, having people excited when I show up to report a story that I'm from the New York Times. But when I went to MIT, they said, oh, my gosh, Lost Women of Science is here. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Oh, and we be, we were a Jeopardy clue, which Ooh. like, you know, you've made it when you're a Jeopardy clue. It wasn't us. It was Dorothy Anderson and Cystic Fibrosis. But it's there's real. no way those clue that clue team would have known about her if it hadn't been for us. What I think is really important about what you're doing is that, um, to your point about women not um, not hyping themselves up enough, you know, I don't know a lot of mathematicians who love to, like, do the kind of work that you're doing. But communicating about science is so important. And especially if you want, you know, young women to see women in science, it's important to do that work because a lot of the scientists either don't have, you know, the time between lab work uh, or 
do mathematicians work in a lab? The math yeah. lab work. Math um, stuff. Uh, they don't have the time uh, or necessarily did the. Did you say the math really, lab? Not math oh, lab. No, math. they're not oh. math. Oh, math lab. Yeah. <laughs> Those kind of women in STEM don't necessarily have the time or the inclination to do that work, but we can't we can't communicate their work without people who are willing to do the research and, and put it in terms that young girls who might want to go into right. sciences can understand. So telling those stories isn't important just posthumously or for the people who are still alive, but for yeah. the next generation of scientists. Well, exactly. And I like to say, let's end with a Joan Didion quote, which is one of my favorite quotes. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. And I think that's it. We tell these stories in order for these um, girls to live and do the work they love to do. Well, that's as good a place to end as any. Nicole, I thank you. Thank you. Katie, we thank you. And thank you all for going beyond the scenes with us. See you later. Thank you. It was fun. Technically, a meth lab is STEM work. It is still <laughs> I was going to say, we, we could have gotten into that. That would have been so much fun, but maybe not. I, mean, I don't know if you want to research those pioneers yet. We can <laughs> knock out your 300 first. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever, it don't matter. We're there. Explore more shows from The Daily Show Podcast Universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central Podcast. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.